Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me. Today, we speak to someone I've known for many, many years who is a genuine expert, particularly in local government communications. Dr. Neryl East began her career in the mid-'80s when she was the star reporter for Win News in Wollongong, and she was a great reporter. But 10 years later, she received a Master's in Journalism followed by a PhD in Communication, which led her into the world of local government. Her career took her along the East Coast with councils such as Shell Harbour City and Wollongong City, where she led the media communication and public relations activities, which is really to tell the stories of those local councils to the local communities, but importantly beyond. She's now built on top of that and and built a great reputation. And I would say that she is the leading expert in municipal council communications, not only in Australia, but one of the leaders in the world. And she joins me now. Dr. Neryl East, thanks very much for joining us on GovComs. Wonderful to be here, David, and thank you for that fantastic introduction. Well, let's go back to those early days because I I started my journalism career um, in Sydney, but my first job in radio news was in 200 (laughs) Wollongong, which was attached to the Wynn Television newsroom. You were the star TV reporter. I was just, you know, this guy who walked off the street to work into um, uh, radio (laughs) news. But they were great times back then, weren't they? They certainly were. I think you're you're underselling yourself a little bit, David. I don't know that I was the star reporter. I was certainly one of the reporters with the big 80s hair, as we all had then. (laughs) (laughs) They were certainly the days. Our far fewer, you know, technological resources. We thought we were pretty leading edge back then. And when you look at it now, you think, goodness, how did we actually do it? But you were, you, you, were, you were a great journalist. You were a very, very good journalist. And I know that you'd, you, you established wonderful connections. You understood people. You had a great nose for a story as well. <laughs> and you could write well. You were a really good writer because I learned a lot from you because I used to watch you and then I used to w- look at your scripts and think, ah, okay, she knows her audience. She writes really, really well. Where did you pick that up from? Look, thank you for saying that. And I think starting in radio myself, I started in radio in Sydney and, and that was back in the back in the day when, uh, you know, you got a cadetship straight from school. I went back and, and did my university qualifications later. So I got into journalism, you know, 18, very naive, very green and um, straight into this very fast-paced Sydney radio environment where, you know, if, if, pe- if the news editor didn't like the way you wrote, and, you know, we literally typed on pieces of paper back then, not on computer he would throw it back at me across the desk and say, this is rubbish, do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was a very good training ground. You know, we, we, managers got away with different things back then. Oh, um, God, didn't I tell they? you what, it, it, it was terrifying. Um, you know, I confess I spent a few times crying in, the, crying in the toilets on more than one occasion. 
but wow, did that teach me some amazing skills. And it, 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 those skills have stood me in good stead throughout my career and continue to do that. I guess just that ability that we need to have as communicators to take complex information and just get to the heart of it quickly and be able to express it very, very clearly. So you do a lot of consulting, you do a lot of lecturing, you give a lot of advice to people. So just in that writing space, because what this podcast really is all about is trying to give people uh, insights um, and trying to give people tips as to how they might be able to improve in all sorts of different areas around their their communication. So in terms of just that writing piece, what advice do you give apart from this notion of take the complexity out of it, get it into a form where people can understand and don't waste words? Yeah, for sure. Look, I think a fundamental principle, and I know you talk about this too, David, is it's all about the audience. And for those who are listening who are professional communicators, that's obvious, but it's not obvious to the rest of the world. You know, I when, some of the people I work with, this is like a, a transformational idea that, oh, my goodness, you know, it's not about just what I want to, um, you know, <laughs> spew out there. It's actually about the person I'm communicating with, where they're at, what their level of understanding is, and taking the message and crafting it from their point of view, it's a basic principle. But, wow, doesn't it make a huge difference to the effectiveness of the message? Do you have any tips on how you can translate that to people or how you can make that a key consideration or perhaps the consideration for people when they are starting to create their content? How do you stop them thinking about themselves and their policy and their program or the regulation and start thinking first about the audience? Well, you know, there's so much research now. I guess for the analytically minded who want to see the data, there's plenty of research that shows that actually complexity doesn't make things more credible or or sound more important. It actually kills off people's ability to digest the information and so the whole point is diluted. And, you know, these days attention spans are shrinking. People are, are, are dying under the weight of more and more messages and pieces of communication. And so the more simple we can make the message, we've got half a half a chance of actually cutting through with our message. And I guess it's, it's about not just making sure sure that people read our information, but they've got to actually go through the process of understanding it, believing it, and then acting on what we want them to do. So it's a whole process we need to get them to, to, to go through before we can actually say we've truly communicated. And I guess, you know, sometimes when we lay that out to people, that is a revelation to them because they think if they just hit send on their computer, they've communicated, they yeah. can walk away. Yeah, <laughs> um, indeed. But, you know, it's actually there's actually a lot more to it than that. And when they can see that, some of them start to shift their behaviour. But, you know, those of us who have worked in institutions and organisations for a long time, that can be a, you know, a tougher ask. I, I do accept that. How much of a barrier do you think is it around people wanting to present that they know something and therefore I'm going to give you all of the information and I'm perhaps lacking the humility to be able to put my ego perhaps as uh, the second consideration and the audience's as my as my first consideration because i think that can sometimes be a bit of a stumbling block for people yeah, look, that, that definitely is a challenge for some of our, our colleagues out there, That particularly, I guess, those who are very, you know, technically qualified and come from certain professions where they're used to, to speaking in a very specific and particular way. It's really hard for them to let go. And on more than one occasion, and I'm sure you hear this kind of thing, David, too, is, you know, I don't want my information dumbed down. And I have to say, look, it's not dumbing it down. It's making it more accessible to people. And then I have to ask them, you know, do you want to sound important 
or do you want to be understood? What's what's the outcome you want to achieve here? Yeah. And you know, sometimes it is a choice between the two, and and eventually they get that that it is possible to be credible and to actually write in plain language. And in fact, your credibility actually increases the more people can understand your message. But yeah, for some people, that is a hard sell. I agree. I'll, listen, I'll tell a story and you'll remember this. Um, remember the, the, the Coldale mudslide, which was a, a, <laughs> I do, a very, I do. very big story in Wollongong, tragic story where mm. a, a, a siding collapsed, went into a house and, and killed some people, uh, you know, absolutely tragic circumstances. Mm. But we were, we were reporting on it down at, at, at the, uh, the local courts and I remember I was sitting there and it was one of the first jobs that I was on and I remember the, the, the judge came out and said there is a prima facie case here of an indictable offence against <laughs> Wollongong engineers. Now, this is all technical terms. Yes. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about, but I went out to file to the national uh, radio uh, network and I started with that, It's a pro- you know, there is a prima facie case of an indictable offence against what... And this, this editor said to me, what are you talking about? And I had to say, <laughs> Mate, I don't know. And so I had to get off, run back and say to someone, what does that actually mean? And then they said, that means those engineers could go to jail. And I was yeah. like, all oh, right. And so is that having... I, I was so nervous and I probably didn't have the humility to go, I actually don't know what he's talking about. So I'm just going to blurt it out there. And it was a great lesson to me that from that moment forward, that if I didn't understand it, I would ask the questions until I did understand it to the point that I could communicate it. And But it, that had to get to that sim- simple point before I could communicate it. Absolutely. I think it was Einstein who said, if you can't communicate clearly about something, you don't understand it well enough. Yeah, indeed. And, uh, you know, I think the hallmark of a great communicator is somebody who asks great questions uh, and, and is, you know, is prepared to put their hand up and say, can you help me understand what this means? So how important is curiosity to communications professionals? Look, it's massively important. Uh, you know, I... I talk a lot about the power of professional curiosity. And that that works at an organisational level, uh, you know, in terms of um, information you're wanting to put out about your organisation or even within your organisation, but it also works at a, at a personal level because uh, communication operates on three levels. It's, it's the inner work and the communication that goes on inside the person. It's then within the organisation and then it's with the outside audiences. So professional cu- curiosity can also work at a personal level. So if you're in a meeting and you're not getting the results you want and somebody's maybe losing their temper or it's going off the rails, if you shift into professional curiosity mode and just think to yourself, well, that's interesting. Why is this happening? You'll start to get a different outcome than if you look at it purely through your own eyes. Because if you've got a group of people only seeing a situation from their own point of view, well, that's actually not a meeting. It's called an argument. (laughs) And we've all been involved in plenty of those. So shift into curiosity, put your Sherlock Holmes hat on and, and think, wow, that's that's fascinating. Why is that happening? And you'll get insights and you'll get outcomes that you wouldn't have got if you just, you know, stayed stayed in the habitual path of, of what's in it for me. Interesting stuff. So how can organisations become curious or is it only people who can be curious? No, organisa- well, it's the people within the organisations, obviously, but they can certainly become curious. And I think that's uh, that's about not assuming that they already know, not assuming that they know exactly what their audience is thinking or what they need. So whether that's a, a government agency delivering a service or even a message, even a, even a communications campaign, 
I guess not not approaching it from that, yeah, that professional arrogance almost and thinking, well, we know exactly what you need, so we're going to dish it up to you. It's um it's stepping back and saying, well, is that actually true? How do we know that? What where's where's the evidence? Where's the data? Yeah. What information do we have to base that on? That's You'll get, old, a, get a different result. And it's also the old two ears, one mouth, isn't it? And to communicate yeah. in that ratio, to make sure that you you go with that, that open heart and that open mind to discover and to understand and to listen and to be empathetic because it's inside that wisdom that you will find, you know, the gems that will enable you to create those relationships and to create that, you know, content with impact. That's it. And, and you've hit on it there. And it's the relationships and the connection. That's really where the communication happens. Otherwise, we're just talking at people. And goodness, who, who needs more of that? We, we're bombarded at every turn with information. We're going to gravitate towards the people and the organisations that we really feel a connection with. And that starts with questioning, with, with having open conversations. I, I... I did a, a podcast last week with Dr. Caroline Fisher from the University of uh, Canberra, and they've just released the the latest uh, news and media research centre report. It's part of that the Reuters Institute, and it's a global study into the consumption of news media. And one of the overwhelming senses that I took from the interview is this this sense of massive and dramatic and overwhelming change in the way that people consume not only news but the the way they consume information, Um, fragmented attention spans, massive choice in the way that they receive information and from different sources at different times, different preferences. What's your view on how people and particularly communicators in government can be successful at this time of such substantial, dramatic and sustained change that we're dealing with at the moment. The pace of it is so overwhelming. Yeah, it, look, it's an incredible industry to be in, isn't it, with, with the speed of change and, and everything that's, that's happening. And I think, and this came up, I know we'll talk about the local government uh, summit and that environment shortly, but this came up at the summit I hosted recently uh, where you spoke, David, about how how our industry as communicators has changed. So we've gone from, it used to be all about the media, the traditional media I'm talking about, the old-fashioned media that you and I worked in. Um, You know, if you worked in comms, it was all about what stories can we pitch to the local media, how can we spin it and get our message across. And then it kind of went to, we got big marketing budgets and so we were able to branch out into doing other, you know, weird and wonderful things using the available technology. And now, you're right, it's it's shrunk right down to the individual level because we've got the ability to communicate one-on-one with millions of people, you know, simultaneously but still speaking to them one-on-one. And so the art is now all about bringing it down to that individual level, targeting and tailoring to such an extent that that person feels you know, such a strong connection with us that we can hold their attention. And that's where the challenge is. How do we do that with the same resources that we had in the old situation? You know, we haven't we haven't necessarily got the resources to, to do it. So it's how can we best use the resources we have to, to really tailor and target efficiently and effectively so we're not going crazy in the process. I don't have a magic wand for that, but that's the challenge. That's was, the challenge. I was about to say I'm all ears. So, <laughs> so, so what's your best advice? What is your best advice? And it's not just for local government communicators because, as you say, we'll come to that particular context in a minute, which I think mm. is a, a fascinating context because it is that layer of government that is closest to the people. It is that layer of government that 
delivers, I think, probably the most value to communities. And it's that layer of government where people, the trust levels um, are high and have maintained, you know, quite high levels for many, many years. But before we come to that local government context, let's just perhaps if we can get your best advice as to how do people you know, maintain that engagement or create that engagement, that individual level, that personalisation, that targeting and tailoring so people feel that they are being spoken to, they are being listened to and they are being understood. Sure. Well, it starts it starts with attitude and this is organisational mindset. So, first of all, the organisation has to choose that that is the way that it's now going to communicate. Now, unfortunately, in my experience, many organisations haven't yet chosen to do that. So, they give lip service to this idea of, oh, great, now we can communicate with people directly, but they're still using the old language and the old approach. So, that's not going to be very effective. Um, and then once they've made that choice, they have to have a strategy. They have to have a plan. Otherwise, they are continually going to be boxing at shadows. Shadows. Whenever somebody, um, you know, invents another online communication tool, they're going to be under pressure to jump on board and do it. And, you know, we know that's a quick way to insanity in this business. Um, that's not going to be very effective either. So, it, it, we still need to have that underlying uh, foundation of a solid communication strategy absolutely linked to the overall mission and objectives of the organisation. Now, that doesn't sound very exciting when we've got all these amazing tools, but if we don't have that, it's like trying to build a house without a foundation but going straight to the colour of the curtains or the bathroom tiles because that's the most interesting part and not actually paying due respect to all of the framework that has to be in place. When we've got that, so we've understood, okay, the organisation's chosen, we are now going to communicate with people in a much more engaging way and we're going to open ourselves up, we're going to be transparent, we're going to let people comment on our stuff, we're going to interact with them. What's our strategy for doing that? So we've got to have reasons for doing that and, and things that we need to achieve. And then, okay, based on our resources, what's the one or two platforms that we can do that effectively with? Not everything. You can't do everything. So pick one or two, two avenues and try to do those as well as you can with the resources that you have. And if you can't, you know, staff things 24-7, then put rules around it, put, put boundaries around it so people know that, so their expectations are managed. I mean, we can do a whole, you know, a whole day just talking about this. But, you know, the, the, the old-fashioned notion of having a plan to start with, that's, that's never gotten old. It's just that sometimes we jump ahead and want to do the fun stuff first. So jumping through then to this context of, of local government, as I say, you this is really your your sweet spot. You 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 are in this environment uh, on a daily basis, giving advice, yeah. you know, leading. I think in this space and really helping people. Give us the update of of, of how is the world of local government communication um, in Australia, but not only in Australia, but but around the world. How, how do you think local government? Um, communicators are faring at this time of, of, of great change, but great opportunity. Sure. Well, I think like their communication colleagues in other levels of government and, and you know, in other sectors as well, they are in this, you know, incredible <laughs> mix master of change that's going on. They're kind of caught, you know, on the, on the, spinning around, absolutely. But there's quite a degree of optimism as well because, as you mentioned earlier, local government, obviously the closest tier of government to the people. So some of these tools lend themselves so well to that 
to that method of leadership and that method of government. So there's a lot of optimism. A lot of councils are using video extremely well. Um, and I might talk about this more in a minute, but with shrinking traditional media, and, you know, the old journo in me is very sad about that, but it is a reality. Traditional media is dying um, or, you know, <laughs> suffering. Um, councils have an opportunity to, to establish themselves as the source of truth for their community. So where in the past that might have been the local paper or the local radio station, those outlets can't keep up with demand because they don't have the resources anymore. Many councils are taking on that role and they're establishing fantastic news hubs, uh, you know, video channels, all sorts of things where people can get information about their whole community, not just the council, but it's actually the council generating that as a source of news. So I think it's a fascinating model. Uh, many are doing it well. Many others are still coming to grips with all, all the changes and don't have the resources. But I think there's a fair bit of optimism. And what I love about working in this sector is there's such generosity about information sharing. You know, it's not like they're in competition with each other. They're not stingy about uh, talking to their colleagues about what's worked for them. So I think, you know, things are, things are very positive in that sense. But in terms of being able to operate an, a news hub, um, are the resources there to do it properly and effectively? Look, I, I think yes and no. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the tools and the platforms are there uh, you know, that weren't around even five years ago to do some of those things relatively simply. And I think the savvy councils that have kind of realised that they can produce once, publish everywhere, they're not having to reinvent the wheel every time with their messages. They can take one piece of content, and I know you're very big on this, David, and, and be able to massage and slice and dice that and, and use that across multiple platforms. They're, they're doing that very well. So they've got online newsrooms. They're, they're using video really well, not necessarily with the latest and greatest technology, but, you know, as we know, even a little bit of technology can go a long way in that space. Um, look, there's no doubt they are struggling with the resource challenge because, you know, many councils are demographically in areas where a lot of their community don't necessarily want to consume their information that way yet. Um, down the track, there may be no choice. So they're still also needing to service some of the more traditional uh, methods of communication too, and that's definitely a strain. Um, that's probably the biggest, um, you know, biggest question I get. How do we how do we do more with nothing? <laughs> Show us some tools to, to free up some time in our day so that we can we can do this more effectively. And again, I don't have a magic wand, but you know, there are some things that, that we can do there. What are your views then of this, and I think this is where probably the future is, and this notion of distributed capability and comms being the responsibility not just of the central comms area but building mm. capability in the different areas of a local council. So is it, you know, whether it's the, the dog pound or whether it's the, you know, the local police or the fire service, that they have a responsibility to tell their story and that that centre of expertise can sit at the centre to drive the strategy but to, you know, to uh, enhance the capability of, of the council or the local government area to tell its story by activating what would be, you know, non-traditional sources of, of information. Absolutely. Look, and that's the key to it. I mean, the days of the, the communications person or people, if they're lucky enough to have a team, being the gatekeepers of all information, you know, that's that's absolutely dead and buried. I mean, 
even even just on a resource basis, that's not realistic. But also, it's just not the way people consume information, as we've said. So, yeah, I'm all about building the capability of communication professionals in government. And I've got to say, in, in local government, you know, some of these people don't rate themselves very highly. They're kind of, you know, almost put down by other people in the organisation and they get into this almost siege mentality or that they've, you know, they're just kind of drones churning out content. And, you know, I, I've worked with them to say that is totally not the case. You are the reputation leaders in your organisation. You need to be role modelling best practice um, communication leadership because often across the organisation, the others don't know what that looks like. And, and empowering people across the council to be reputation ambassadors for the council. And, you know, we know with Edelman Trust Barometer and other research that the community now wants to hear from people like them. They don't necessarily trust the leadership of the organisation as much as they trust just the your average person who works in the organisation and what they're saying at the, you know, the barbecue after work or at the school canteen. So the councils who are seizing on that and, and making it their priority to kind of empower the rest of the staff are the ones that are really kicking goals in the communication space. The ones that are sticking to the traditional model where the, the tiny little comms team has the job of doing all the communications on behalf of the council, well, you know, they're the ones that are struggling. So it's some of it is really switching on the, the communication staff to, to kind of step into their leadership, even if they don't have leader or manager as their title. You know, I say, do this, whatever your job description says. You know, this is now your calling as a communication professional in this incredible digital age. Mm. This is the service you're, you're here to deliver. It is that notion of leadership and training and, give, and building that confidence and capability in non-traditional areas so that they can take it on and giving them permission, I suppose, to be able to, to communicate. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes there are internal barriers and challenges around that. But, you know, savvy council leaders at the executive level, when, when you know, you, you can help them to understand the power that they can unlock by, by making really proper use of their comms team, when they get that, then great things can happen. It can free up a whole lot of areas for their council communication. So I'm very hopeful, you know, that that will continue to happen in more and more local government authorities. Now, video, you mentioned that. And, and I like video, but I think video can sometimes be a little bit scary for people. And although there are, you know, wonderful uh, tools that people can use now and there's lots of tutorials that can help people to, to build a, a decent capability to be able to shoot and edit a, uh, a video of sorts, what are your insights into video and what's your advice to people as to how to get started on video to make it a, you know, a format and, and a channel that has impact? Yeah, well, I mean, within if we're still talking within local government or local government as a whole, you know, there are so many stories that can be told visually. So shortage of content is not the is not the challenge, and that might be a challenge in other in other sectors. It's not in the government sector. Um, learn from organisations who are doing it well. So within the local government sector, uh, we've been hearing case study from Port Adelaide Council, who are doing fabulous things with video. They've kind of established their own video channel. The staff have really gotten hold of it. And they, they go out and they do great 
really, you know, media media packages, but just using basic video gear, whether it's their, their council gangs on the roads, whether it's work in community services or at the swimming pool, and they do profiles around their stuff and they do it with great humour. Uh, and it looks like a very classy product. But when you break it down to the equipment they use, it's actually very doable. So um, the recent summit I hosted, um, we had that council presenting a case study. We're actually going to do a webinar with them uh, uh, in a couple of months. That was so well received. Which Sunday Council is also doing wonderful things in the video space. They've got a mayor who's a bit of a home chef, and he loves to, to – they, they do um, – great videos with him cooking and then he uses that as an analogy for a council project so you know it might be the council budget and he's making pizza and he's like well here are the slices of the pizza and here are, you know here is how the budget's divided up so you know that that's just fantastic building connection making it very relatable making it funny you know I'd never been so engaged in information about a council budget in my life uh, and then he gave us a pizza recipe as well so bonus <laughs> learn how to make a great pizza so you know that's really fantastic stuff um, and so you know that, that's what I would see as best practice in that space the councils who are doing that you know it, again it's not for everybody they don't have the resources but there's plenty out there that you can learn uh, and at least you know start dabbling start dabbling with what you've got I mean I use plenty of video in my business just using my phone you know it's it's after working in television and huge cameras yeah. just getting it down to this but you know the videos are, the videos are fine for, for my purposes that they are fine and I think you know the the, the audience out there are understands they're not look, looking necessarily now for technical perfection they're looking for engagement and relatable information yeah fantastic well Neryl East thank you so much for spending a bit of your time today with us and with the audience and I know they'll take so much value out of this conversation so many sort of broader concepts and, and theories that people can apply to their work on a daily basis, but then lots of information and case studies. And I know I can just see people now whizzing over to uh, witsunday.gov.au <laughs> and having a look at the pizza or the Port Adelaide people doing it with humour. I love that idea uh, because it doesn't there's nothing that says that I can find in any regulation anywhere that government communication has to be stodgy, that it has <laughs> to be boring. And really, I think there is so much opportunity for us to have a personality, to create that emotion, because as we all know, the theory tells us and the research tells us that it's that emotional piece that drives the action and drives the engagement and it drives the behaviour as opposed to the facts which may validate our position. So I think that being intensely human, I think, is such an important part of it. But I really appreciate you coming on today. I know the audience appreciates you coming on today. Congratulations on all the success you've had um, with the conference last, was it last week or the week before? Great success yeah, in Melbourne. Lots of people there, lots of people learning, lots of people interested and lots of people really taking on the challenge of how do they tell a great story? How do they use content? How do they step into this brave new world of becoming publishers and broadcasters in order to strengthen communities and improve the well-being of citizens? So so wonderful. Congratulations to you. Thank you very much for joining us once again. And to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. And we'll be back at the same time next week with another wonderful guest. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.